0: In my final sermon of 2019, I asked a question which, in light humor, provoked us to think about where we found ourselves at that point of the year. The question was, are you ready for Christmas? (laughs) And I found myself looking back at that teaching several times this month with, with some irony, reflecting that when I taught that sermon, I wasn't entirely ready for Christmas, but I was in no way ready for the year that was ahead of me. But here we are, 12 months later, and this, again, is the question I want to ask. Are you ready for Christmas? But doesn't that question have a really different feel about it in 2020? Like last year, it was a question about whether you had all your gifts bought or wrapped, about whether your dinner plans were in place. This year, it's a question about your mental health, about your ability to cope with isolation. At some level, it's a question about whether you have... Well, whether you have it in you to celebrate anything, are you ready for Christmas? Like for weeks now, we've been holding our breath and crossing our fingers to hope that things will be okay for this season of the year. And for many, it feels like the rug has been sort of pulled out from under them. Family dinner becomes eating alone. Enjoying the festive malls becomes internet shopping in our PJs. Christmas Eve services become yet more YouTube and our hope has sort of taken a bit of a beating. And because 2020 isn't the norm, the question, are you ready, digs deep into existential questions about how we navigate the next few weeks. Do we approach it Instagram style, where we try to pretend that everything is okay and carry on as if nothing is different? Or or do we tell the truth? But what if this disruption around Christmas actually moves us closer to encountering Christmas in a new way, perhaps a more authentic way? Like the whole original Christmas story, it is surrounded by disruption. It sneaks up on them. There's the rush of getting home for a census. There's the disruption of squeezing Mary in somewhere so that she can give birth to Jesus. And there's all these characters involved in the narrative that find, well, their lives disrupted. Like, think about their answers to, are you ready for Christmas? Like, Zechariah, are you ready to have a son? John, in your old age? Mary, are, are you ready to become mother to Jesus? Bethlehem, are you ready to make space for Jesus? <laughs> Shepherds, are you, are you ready for an angel army that's appearing shortly? Wise men, are you ready for a trip? And King Herod, are you ready for a new king in town? And then there's Joseph. Matthew's gospel tells us his story like this. In chapter one in verse 18 to 24, it says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. wife joseph are you ready for christmas like without warning or fault of his own joseph finds himself caught up in a scandalous situation like in his culture there was various ways to deal with a situation like the one he finds himself in but joseph decided to try for the cover-up like let's not shame anyone let's sweep the whole thing under the carpet But do you ever wonder how Joseph was feeling in all of this? Like, what was his emotional state? Think about it for a moment. He's found himself in the middle of the greatest story of the world. But it comes to him in the form of realizing that his fiance is pregnant. Like, if they're dishing out parts to play in the greatest story ever told, is this the part that you would want? Joseph didn't. In verse 20, after he's decided to break off the relationship with Mary, it says, after he considered this. Now, to get technical for a moment, this is a legitimate way to translate the word used in the original language. But it's worth us noting that generally, when this word is used, it describes the type of thinking and pondering and considering that you might do when you're angry. Joseph wasn't happy. Like, you've probably experienced this. You know that you've got a conversation coming up with someone that hurt you. And before you get to the conversation, you're replaying the whole conversation in your head, cycling it over and over, imagining what you should have said and what you will say. And the more you cycle it, the angrier you get. That feeling that you've got going on when you're doing that, that's the feeling that the Bible writer describes of Joseph just here. Joseph was fuming. So an angel comes to him and tells him not to be afraid to take Mary as his wife. Well, why would he be afraid? Well, the text tells us, you see, that Joseph is a righteous man. He's a just man. Joseph is a rule follower. And in his day, there would be much shame and social stigma of of marrying a pregnant lady, not to mention the uncertainty of beginning a relationship with someone who appears to have been unfaithful to him before the marriage even starts. And now he's being asked to commit his life to caring for this lady and this child. Like if you ever wanted evidence of someone trapped in a calling that they didn't choose, then turn to Joseph. So here's the first Christmas from Joseph's perspective. He wasn't ready. He was angry. Afraid. Trapped. Can you relate to that? Like, the global pandemic hit us hard here in Alberta during Lent, that season of the church where we, where we give things up. And then the second wave landed as we were beginning Advent, that pre-Christmas season of waiting. Like, the irony of this is awful, You know, like 2020 is probably well described as giving up and waiting. And as this year dragged on, many of us, I think, would empathize with Joseph and perhaps describe this year in the same ways that Joseph appears to be feeling in the Christmas story. Like trapped, you know, in houses that sometimes felt like prisons more than homes. Relationships strained, often beyond breaking point. Managing spaces that are being repurposed for work and school and rest. Or afraid, like not certain about anything. Will I get ill? Will my loved ones get ill? Will my job survive? Will my company survive? Will my industry survive? Like can I learn the new skills required? Can I pivot sufficiently? To navigate the world. And as we've noted throughout this year, these pressures, they often vent themselves in our lives as anger. And 2020 has been an angry year. So I wonder if these three emotions are, are rooted in how the question, are you ready for Christmas, disturbs us. Like questions about our readiness speak to our agency as humans, our ability to do what we want when we want. And this year has prevented that on just so many occasions. Like Joseph, the story of 2020 hasn't gone the way we would have chosen, and we don't seem able to change it. So our love of being in control is being regularly pounded into submission this year. And the question, are you ready? highlights this to us. We're not ready because we can't be ready because readiness is something out of our control. Like weddings have been canceled, funerals emptied. And and we've postponed so many parties that when this pandemic is over, we'll probably need like a year of parties just to catch up and get back on the level. So many of us, many of us arrive at this Christmas season with anxiety and stress, because we can't make this year like any other. It's physically out of your control. And that's, that's okay. Everyone will survive Christmas not being normal. Like if you refuse to let go of your expectation, and try your hardest to make this year like any other, then I can't guarantee that you'll avoid the exhaustion that comes from refusing to quit. But Joseph, Joseph does something remarkable. He pivots. Despite being trapped, afraid, and angry, he manages, as the Bible scholar Kenneth Bailey points out, to process all of these emotions into grace. He takes Mary home, cares for her, and ultimately, Jesus too. Like, Can we find grace in this strange time? Can we reprocess our emotions into grace in time for Christmas? In Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells a story of a man who planned a party. And at the last moment, no one turned up that he'd invited. And Jesus tells us that the man was angry, So in his anger, he gracefully opened up the party to the poor, the homeless, and the downtrodden that they could celebrate with him. Like like grace can come out of the strangest spaces, from disappointment, discouragement, and despair. But let's come back to this question one more time. Are you ready for Christmas? There's something about the way that we phrase that question in English that means that what we hear is this, are you prepared for Christmas? To which we answer no. And then the internal guilt and pressure of our own failings rises up in our gut once more. We start to feel overwhelmed by it. But what if you heard the question differently? What if this year, instead of hearing a question about your preparedness, what if you heard it like this? Are you in need of Christmas? Like, is it time for Christmas? What if we heard the question, are you ready like that? Because Christmas is about a grace given to us just in time. As Joseph learned, Christmas is where you hear of Emmanuel, of God with us, of hope, of joy, of peace, of love, of Jesus who will save us. Because grace can find you wherever you are. Like, are you ready for Christmas? (laughs) You bet I'm ready for Christmas. Because I need it. I need God with us. So Christmas reminds us that grace is coming to us and we don't have to be ready because it's coming and we all need it. I want to end with two readings today. One of the readings is from Elizabeth Fadley that I heard on a podcast just last week and was excited to share with you. And one of the readings is from the poet Madeleine Langle. I shared the poem from Madeline last year with you, but it still seems apt, so I wanna share it again. Both of these readings in their own way speak to this issue of being ready, but both of them in quite different ways. Part one, December, 2015. Ellie dreams of having a mermaid baby, not just a mermaid and not just a baby, a mermaid baby. Being the adventurous buyer that I am, I searched and searched and finally found a handmade mermaid baby doll on Etsy. In the pictures online, it appeared that Pearl was wearing a veil of some sort. But no, that was her creepy and weird skin. When Pearl arrives, I am thrilled. I show her to several teenage students who react to her face in sheer horror. I ignore this reaction knowing that Ellie will love Pearl. Part two, Christmas morning. Ellie wakes up and excitedly runs to the tree to find Pearl. Her reaction? Basically, she was like, OMG, this doll is hideous. What is wrong with you, Santa? The author mentions here that Ellie later admitted that this moment was a bit of a pothole in her understanding of Santa. Part three post-Christmas. Ellie is so grossed out by Pearl that she affectionately refers to her as disgusting. We just watched Inside Out. I came to the desperate conclusion that Pearl's hideousness lies in her strange green locks of hair. So I go to CVS and purchase two different colors of hair dye and attempt to dye Pearl's hair from green to a strong blonde. My attempts fail miserably and Ellie looks at me with pity for a few days. Pearl's hair is even more hideous, Mom. Please just stop. Ellie's babysitters have begun staring at my multiple L'Oreal and Clairol kits. Ellie refuses to hold Pearl. I am, of course, devastated by my failure and more determined than ever to remedy it. Part four, The Doll Hospital. I locate a doll and teddy bear hospital in Secaucus, New Jersey. I call them immediately and discover it is run by a group of very strict and serious Germans. They take the doll and teddy bear hospital very seriously. They're interested in seeing Pearl's condition, and they will give me an estimate for all of the cosmetic work that needs to be done in order to make her lovable. Poor Pearl. I ask Ellie to bring Pearl on the airplane to Tennessee to visit Leslie. Ellie refuses, pointing out Pearl's many, many hideous traits. Part five, sending off Pearl. I pack Pearl up in a box and address it to the doll hospital. I tell Ellie that Pearl is going off to the hospital to have her face and hair adjusted. Ellie wisely informs me that Pearl has even greater problems than those, and then she proceeds to write on the box, please, please help this doll. She has so many problems. Part six, four weeks pass. I hear nothing from the Germans. Clearly, they want nothing to do with poor Pearl. I call a few times and ask about a price, offer to send money, etc. and they keep forgetting who I am until I say, my doll is Pearl, the mer-baby. And then the Germans say, oh God, yes, okay. I finally get a very expensive answer and immediately send them more money. The work begins. Part seven the phone call. I was teaching on a crisp January morning when my phone rang. I ignored it and then listened to the message between students. It was the detective from the Secaucus Police Department. He really needed to talk to me immediately. I called him back right away and he demanded that I come down to the precinct at once. Part 8, the big reveal. The detective tells me that the Germans called the police down to the Doll hospital that morning. When they removed Pearl's head to repaint her offensive skin, they found two ounces of cocaine stuffed in her head. The detective first suggests that the drugs are mine. I adamantly argue and insist that I've never seen cocaine in my life. He relents, agreeing that it would be strange for me to stuff cocaine into a doll's head and then ship it off to an expensive doll hospital. Then, in what is probably the strangest conversation of my life, the detective asked me what was up with Pearl. Did a weird uncle put drugs in Pearl's head 30 years ago and then I inherited Pearl? I explained what Ellie wanted for Christmas, how I found Pearl at Etsy and why I shipped her off to the Germans. The detective then said, you spent money on this doll? (laughs) Haven't you ever heard of Ariel? She is a pretty mermaid and you can buy her at any Disney store. I said, Detective, Ariel is a grown-up mermaid, and Ellie wanted a baby mermaid. She will not be fooled by a fake baby mermaid. The detective said that it seemed challenging to be Ellie's mother, and then went on to reveal that this is the strangest thing to ever happen at the DEA in New Jersey. After obtaining all my Etsy information, he hung up and went to work. I called a friend and told him that I was probably going to jail, Jail. (laughs) and then I called my mom to alert her the detectives from the DAA might be coming to search the house for more drugs. She laughs and laughs and laughs. Part nine, the end. After running my entire family through the system, the detective tells me that they do not believe the cocaine came from us, phew. The New Jersey DEA and the Alabama DEA are now working together to plan a sting on the doll maker in Alabama. And then he said, I'm sorry to disappoint your daughter, but Pearl can't come home ever. She's gonna be locked away in the evidence awaiting for an international drug trial. Sorry. I hung up the phone and I told Ellie, honey, Pearl is gonna stay at the doll hospital for longer than we had anticipated. It turns out that she has many problems. Ellie nodded and said, I told you mom, that doll is messed up. The end. Everything we do for our children, we try to get the best Christmas gift and accidentally buy a mer-baby stuffed with cocaine and become embroiled in an international drug smuggling ring. I hope all of your holidays, Christmases, New Years, are exactly what you planned and are mermaid and drug free. But if cocaine accidentally shows up under your tree, Know that I understand and that you tried your best. <laughs> and now, a little more reverently, but still speaking to the same question of our readiness and our need for grace. This is called First Coming, my Madeline Langle. He did not wait till the world was ready, till men and nations were at peace. He came when the heavens were unsteady and prisoners cried out for release. He did not wait for the perfect time. He came when the need was deep and great. He dined with sinners in all their grime and turned water into wine. He did not wait till hearts were pure. In joy, he came to a tarnished world of sin and doubt. To a world like ours of anguished shame, he came and his light would not go out. He came to a world which did not mesh, to heal its tangles, shield its scorn. In the mystery of the word made flesh, the maker of the stars was born. We cannot wait till the world is sane to raise our songs with joyful voice. For to share our grief, to touch our pain, he came with love. Rejoice. Rejoice. And I hope that as you encounter Christmas this year, you find yourself ready. Maybe not prepared. Maybe not having everything the way that you want it to be, but you find yourself ready because you need it. And that in that, you can rejoice too. Grace and peace to you this Christmas.